In today's episode of Revival Podcast, we're looking into history a little bit, God's generals, and the connections that have happened between the way God has moved and the people he has used. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by author and speaker, Robert Sladen. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to have one of my heroes with us today as part of our uh, Revival podcast. From when I've been a teenager, Pastor Robert Sledden has had a deep impact on my life. In the early days, listening to your podcasts, reading your books, I was actually a, a partner with the ministry from my late teens. And uh, just it was a refreshing um, anointing to be connected to, I guess would be a phrase I would use. So Pastor Roberts, I'm delighted that you are with me today and being able to record this program. It's good to be with you. And I'm glad we've been friends for many years. And, yes, um, absolutely. So I'm, I saw your ministry, bud, when I first met you, I thought this guy is going to become a great voice. So I'm glad to be journeying with you and to be your friend. And Great Britain needs you and the world needs you. So I'll say that wow. I read in the beginning of this uh, this podcast that um, I'm glad to see what's happening. It's exciting to me. Yeah, thank you so, so much. And I could say so much about you. Uh, voted twice as America's most outstanding young man. I think, I don't know how many million books you've got in print out there. Uh, preacher, pastor, missionary, uh, revivalist, historian. I mean, there are so many hats that you've worn and you've probably lived two or three lives uh, compared to what people do. And I just feel massively honored to have you here with me today. You've even experienced the, the problems in ministry, the stumblings, and come out the other end and come out healthy the other end to start serving the kingdom again. And I think all of that adds credibility and richness to who you are. So thank you so much for being with me today. I want to start the conversation and probably what you're most famously known for, and I think these books are still selling, even though they've been in print many, many years. You did a whole series on God's generals. It eventually evolved into re reformers, revivalists. And so I guess my question is, because that resonated so deeply, literally with millions of people worldwide, uh, what? What was happening in you to want to dig into? Because I think you were only in your late teens when you did your first God's General video series. And so what was it in you that was hungry to learn about what God had done in history? Well, it came to me as a, as a visitational mandate from the Lord, which helps you develop that desire. Because I was about 12 and a half years old when that encounter occurred. And uh, I picked up my first revival book after that in the evening and read the first chapter and something exploded in me that still lives as strong as it was that day today uh, to know why, uh, who God chose, why did he choose them? What did they do? How did they do it? If they made mistakes, what were they? So we can learn from them, not being judgmental, but just learn from the realities of life and uh, how they also work within their cultural framework. Uh, another thing that I, that I work with with that is some of the people you study don't have the revelation that you and I have because they were born 100 years ago or 50 years ago. So you have to grace them with the absence of what you now know they did not know. So like with Wigglesworth, he'll say certain things that are amazing. Then he'll say some things like, oh, 
but they didn't have that revelation there then. So it doesn't disqualify them. You had to work through that cultural thing. And so that's really it in a nutshell. And the Lord told me there would come a generation who would want to know what I would study and he would show me. And if I'd be faithful, I would be the one to help impart gifts, unwrap gifts, and save gifts. And so through the books and the, the DVDs and all the stuff, uh, without exaggerating, we've we've helped millions of people. We've sold six, almost 17 million books in English. We quit counting the international because we can't get the numbers correctly, but we're in over 60-some languages to, uh, over the years. So uh, I turned 55 last Sunday. And you're looking so, good on it. Thank you, Lord. So I'm now a, a senior, according to American culture, and I feel like I am starting the last half of my life. I feel like we have now concluded what I was to do in the first 45 years, and now we're going to start with the last half. And we have to fit into the new generation, uh, the new methodologies, but the message remains the same. Everything is changing, which is a part of revival history that most people don't want to talk about because they make the method and the message sacred and they get stuck. So it's very good and very rich. And I, I think not only the books you wrote, but the books you wrote created hunger in people to go do their own research and write more books. So I, I no, without, go ahead without sounding arrogant. There was no revival theology. There was no revival hunger or digging the wells. When I first started, most people did not care. And so the old people I talked to and interviewed that knew Wigglesworth or Amy or whoever, they discovered this young kid and they begin to give me all the stuff that their kids were going to throw away when they die. And so today I'm very happy to say that the God used me to help create the foundations for all of that. And we changed Christian vocabulary. We used to call these great guys, the giants of the faith, the heroes of the faith. Now they're called God's generals. And that came from me. That came from that visitation. So that's a little fun thing when I hear the Baptists call them generals. The other day we had a, a Somebody sent me a Muslim book. They had written a Muslim book called The God's Generals of Islam. I thought, well, my title has gone all the way into Islam now. So it, the Lord kept his word. I did my best to study. He told me he yeah. would use me, and I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah, and I would encourage anybody who's listening who hasn't read The God's Generals, it's a great way to whet your spiritual appetite, to learn and to grow. So you can find those anywhere that books are sold. And to be, I, I mean, I watch the videos, I watch the second series of videos, I watch the reformers, um, and, and obviously read through the books as well. They're still on my shelf and I'll pick them off. In fact, you've, you've got a kid's version of Catherine Kuhlman that you had done uh, not too long ago. 12 volumes now. Well, we've got a few of those. Yeah, we've got a few of those, and, and one of my kids picked them up. Um, the other day, and they just picked up the Catherine Kuhlman one and said, I want to read this one about Catherine. So. Yeah, I mean, I need to get all 12 of those and just, because they're a rich resource. It's not a person's opinion here. It's a, a recounting of a life well lived. And, and it's not that we're going to live our lives the same way. God's going to do it the same way. Um, but one of the phrases I've become familiar with, that, I've, that in the new that God is doing, there are echoes in the old. So you look back. And even in the brand new that God does, you can see the echoing of what he did in history, 
even though it will be done differently in the new day that we're in. Let me ask you a question, Pastor Roberts, about what you see in terms of, there's a lot of conversation about revival. I speak about it a lot. This podcast is called Revival. And I guess for some of us, a conviction that what God did through John Wesley or what he did through Azusa, what he did through William and Catherine Booth um, or the Hebrides, that he's going to do it again. Um, Could I ask you what you're sensing in terms of um, what you see as the coming move of God? And I know in America, revival could be a four day meetings in somebody's church. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. yeah, the word revival has been so morphed into so many things that the original, what it means, is almost lost. And a revival mainly comes to those who once were alive. So you can't have a revival if you've never been born again. So the revival comes and revives the soul that causes the passion to do the Great Commission and the and the gospel. Uh, revival uh, has changed a lot in in America and in Europe. That it is like a four day meeting. Everything's a revival and. There's no revival. Uh, there is uh, good meetings, good gospel singing, and that's okay. But the revival thing is not moving the way it's supposed to do. And so it's, um, we have to redefine it. Revival to me is the confrontation of culture, the confrontation of the powers of darkness with the light, the love, and the strength of God, and what he wants to do at that moment. Uh, like today, we probably could not birth the term Salvation Army because of all the military, the terrorists. But in the 1800s, the culture was, military was respected, it was an honorable, it was a high position. So Salvation Army came right in on that. So with us, we're gonna have to find ways to call it where it's more compatible to the mindsets of our day. The other thing that I see happening in the world today, darkness is getting darker. Now, as a revival historian, the darker it gets, the brighter the revival. So without sounding being negative or wanting more darkness, just keep getting dark as you want, because when this thing explodes, it'll be a neon burst of sunlight. And it probably will be, I think, maybe the last thrust of the gospel for the end times occur. Now, I know that's a big statement. It's normally what everybody says, but there's more signs and there's more things happening that give you the, the, the feeling that we really could be that generation. I always thought I wouldn't be, I'd be close to it, but I've changed my mindset that, well, I might be a part of that generation. Uh, the local church is going to change. Uh, the ministry um, uh, empires that we have known in the past are going to change into more authentic relationship-based movements. Uh, I grew up and you grew up uh, among the personality, uh, visionary-driven model, which worked in the 90s and the 80s and early 2000s. But it began to change in 2000, and uh, it did not move the same. And so what you have is the empire builders are building cult followings. And I don't want to use the word cult, but a, a laurel-based following. And we're not reaching out beyond our little group. It may be a big group. I have a big group that's been following me for years. But if all we do is just revolve around Lairdon and revival and generals, well, that's not the gospel. And so that's the way we built. You were known for something, but I think that's shifting uh, because I think the generation that is younger than us wants relationship, authenticity. To speak of, like, for example, my moral failure years ago, if I would talk about that in the 90s 
or it would it would cause trouble. Today, you can speak about your personal issues and your restoration and recovery, and everybody celebrates it. Now, for me, that's a huge change. So I'm hoping that in this new move of God, that many that have stepped out or that were marginalized by the, the empire groups, or you want to call them, that they'll have a return into our into the fields of harvest, into the relationships. I think there is a great vast soldiering that we need to have from that group that thank God in my life to say, I had good people restore me. Others did not. Others shoved them aside. Others were, you can't do it no more. I mean, Oral Roberts called me the day that my crisis hit and said, come to my house. He prayed for me and said, get back in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I mean, I had people in my life. Uh, not everybody had the kindness that I had. So I hope people like yourselves and myself will be able to embrace that. I also think the revival movement will embrace, as we were talking before we came on camera, the women's side. I've always been strong with women, but the Bible says in Acts that daughters and, and ladies will be participating. And so we do have historical and biblical record of women participating. And so I'm glad that the new generation is incorporating the other foot that we run on, the male-female We've been hopping on the males. If we can do yeah. the male, female, we might actually run this time. So was I think quality <laughs> women. Yeah, was it William Booth who said, um, my greatest men are women? Yeah. And Cho yeah. said, my greatest, uh, my greatest pastors are my women cell leaders. You know, yeah. so, you know, that <laughs> women have a place and the devil doesn't like them because they have a power and a, a discerning ability that we men have to develop where it seems that the ladies just have it. And so there's certain things that the enemy does not want them to come in to frontline leadership positions, but praise God, the new move will incorporate that equality. The spirit-filled people, we discern people by the spirit. We don't discern them by male, female, ethnic, education. We don't want to know people by the spirit. And that's why I think the spirit-filled world will lead again. Uh, the revival movements because of things like that. Yeah, love that. And I love the fact it is more relational. That's been our experience over the last few years, but increasingly in the last year. And the authenticity to be able to share our vulnerable things, broken things, to have people pray with us. I'm not saying that we're, uh, that isn't permission to live in sin. It is permission to say, be open, be vulnerable. We are not putting a front forward that we are better than, and we've got to have this image of perfection. We aim at perfection while being broken and working towards Christ-likeness. So that very much is our DNA as well. And it's a great observation of the change from personality-driven. I actually think it's going to be, there's still going to be strong personalities, very strong anointings on people, but they're going to be of a different um, uh, caliber, uh, humility, servanthood, uh, the ability for teams to work well, so not a team where I just command my team to do things, but actually the team really do lead. I, I think we don't function at our best when one person is making all the decisions. Uh, there's, we're lopsided. I know even just in being married, how much richer our parenting is because of Esther and what she brings, and because of what I bring. And together, it's richer. The same when you have healthy teams operating rather than just a very strong personality. I think I was 17 years old when the Lord said to me, and I'm 47 this year, he said, one day 
you're going to see the fivefold ministry work together like you've never seen them work. I think we're beginning to enter those days right now, the restoration of apostle and prophet working strongly with pastors and teachers and evangelists. So I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear them if you have. Well, I think the last two offices of the fivefold of restored has been the prophetic that started in the 90s and then the apostolic. And I think we're just now coming into the true manifestation of what the apostle will be and will do. I think there's been a lot of teaching on it from the prophetic and the office of the teacher, but we've not seen them show up in the force that they're about to show up. So when that manifestation comes, it's going to be different than our theory because yeah. we theorize on our projected thoughts and our experience of the past. When it manifests, then that's your reality. And I yeah. think the team side is good. The thing that I've, I've been watching is we always have to have strong leaders. Uh, the, there has to be that voice, the, the personality that people relate to. And so that person has to be careful in this season not to become a new empire builder, uh, yep. but, a, but an empowerer. If, it, if they will empower, then you can do so much more for the gospel. Right. And it also secures your position. A lot of the yep. guys are insecure, so they are controlling too much and they lose everything. It's like the Bible says, you, you can hold on too tight and go broke. By giving, you prosper. The same thing in leadership. You can hold on, uh, but if you give away, it multiplies and comes back as a harvest into your life. life yeah. ministry. It's interesting. The team that um, we've got for the All Nations Movement, the Senior Apostolic Team, there's different fivefold gifts on that team. And one of the things I've been careful to do, I think my grace is to hold people safely around the same table and to say, I think your voice should be heard. So interviewing some of them as part of this podcast, uh, when we've done leadership events, giving them the platform. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, if I was the personality, I would have the platform. They would help me to build my platform. And now the Lord is saying, no, actually, the platform belongs to Christ. And if you share it, and there's, there's a greater strength, there's less pressure on one individual. There's a greater richness in the ministry. I, I, actually, one of my team said to me very recently, they're very gifted, very talented, running a successful ministry in what they've done. And they said, I just want you to know that my, my desire is to serve you and Esther well. And what God is giving you for the nation and for the nations, just want to stand by your side. And my response back was, I am humbled by that. I'm encouraged by it. And I want to say back to you, I want to help you become everything God wants you to be, create open doorways for you and to see you succeed and be fruitful in everything that the Lord has, which is probably a different way of thinking than 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Maybe 30 years ago, I may have responded, that's wonderful. Come on, these are the things I need you to do. And now we're saying, no, actually, I want to see you. Yeah. yeah, That's the way we were taught. That's the way it worked in those days. But we're in a new day with the restored two offices that we didn't have back then. So, you know, we have a whole, we have two more powerful gifts to help us as the church. One thing that I will say as we talk through this that comes to mind the, when you study the lives of revival leaders, now, not just the move of God, but the life. And that's where a lot of people in revival history don't study the life of the person or the family. Uh, in my research, the problems they all faced are the same. And as we move into this new thrust, we have to realize the traps 
on our humanity, the traps of, of, of mistakes and error are still real, and we need to be aware of them so that we can jump over them or see them coming and avoid them. And hmm. so some of the things that concerns me a little bit is people study revival movements, only the announcement and the birth of the baby. They don't study the whole thing to the end. So I would throw that into those that are listening, that when you read these revivals and these revival leaders, make sure you read far enough to find out about their life, how they died, what happened with their ministries after they died. All of that is important for your planning and how you lead in, in, in today's, world, today's world. So maybe his two questions, I'd put them down separately. I'll combine them. Um, one would be what lessons do we learn from the past or what disrupts revival? And they're slightly separate, but they could be the same in terms of the disruptor, the stopper, the thing. I, I know when there's a force of a move of God and it, the hand of God lifts, the momentum is so great. It can still keep going for decades, but the hand of God might have lifted off it. What causes those things, the stoppage, the disruption, well, I would say for, for the ones that I've studied, what when it lifted, uh, they got into some type of theological trap, uh, like George Jeffries, to use a great British apostle. I mean, he was phenomenal. I mean, he was bigger and had more powerful miracles than Smith Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth went around the world and became famous. George Jeffries ruled Great Britain and built the Elam denomination with signs and wonders that are phenomenal. But he got up into theological issues, a, a fixation on British Israelism, and lost everything. And uh, he still had his anointing, but the movement, everything was gone from him. And so theologically getting fine-tuned, let me say it this way. God didn't give you a key. He gave you keys to the kingdom. And when men just focus that one key that ends for everything, you get into trouble. So theological issues are one. Who people marry affects them. Who people, I mean, I know that sounds, you know, but it's true, guys. Who you marry, you know, is going to affect your altitude of how far you go and the richness of your life and the, the, the momentum or the momentum killers. And so I encourage you today, marry, but marry slowly because marriage is forever. So usually people date and they want to get married like, in, you know, real fast. Well, make sure before you move too fast that you really know. So you don't go through all that or you get tied in and you can't get out. Because I deal with it all the time, people that they can't do their high call because they married the wrong person. Uh, money is another one that we all know. Number one, we all need cash. Or Roberts told me one time, he goes, to have a great ministry, you need the anointing and cash. And so, you know, so money has to be a part of our life. And the prosperity message has been hijacked for selfish gain. But we still need to have those biblical truths that we operate in. I don't want our preachers to go forward with a poverty mindset or to go forward with the extreme prosperity message. I think there is a, God wants you to have a great life, have enough money to have a good home and take care of your family and do a holiday and be a blessing. But we're not going to be Oprah Winfrey. We're not going that that does not come. Our reward like that comes us when we get to heaven. We are supplied here. So somewhere in here, the money message has to be redefined, placed in and accepted because it's in the Bible. And every revival has to pay for itself. And God does it through seed faith. He does it through sowing. 
and reaping. I mean, say what you want. That's how it works. Either you will do it biblically or you will do it uh, through emotionalism and, and, and manipulation. And I think if we'll just learn to work the word, it'll work that way. And then the other thing with revival is revivals are messy. And we think they are pretty. No, they're pretty at times. But if you're in them all the time, they are messy. Most revival movements in the past ended in some kind of odd way. They didn't always end in a beautiful handoff to the next thing. They, they got cuckoo in some ways. And there's a whole world we can talk about that. But the reason why revivals are messy is because you've got three things working at the same time in the room or in the movement. You've got God, you've got devils, and you've got people all moving at the same time. And you have to discern them and know how to deal with them individually, separate from each other. You don't bind the Lord. You keep God free and king. You teach the flesh and correct it, and you cast out the devil. So you have to do that all at the same time. Uh, the other aspect is knowing how to talk. Uh, one of the great problems that, that, that causes problems with revival is the young leaders do not know how to talk in proper Christian verbiage. That's why I always give room for the first 10 years of a revival, the first seven, 10 years. They've got to learn how to take their revelation and put it into the full council and know how to say it. So in the process, they say things that are not quite right yet. They sound a little off or that give people a moment to develop and to grow. Uh, like with the Bill Johnson groups uh, and some of these revival groups, when I get around the first time, I'm like, what are they talking about? And so after you hang out with them, like you see what they're saying, they call it different or they've not learned how to take their revelation, place it next to the gifts of the spirit through righteousness, through faith and all the other movements, but it'll happen. Kenneth Copeland today is a well-seasoned preacher, but I remember him as a kid. He was rude, extreme, and obnoxious. And so, but that was the beginning. He had to make a place. He had to pioneer it and had to confront things, but then it works. And some people disconnect in revivals because of those things, or they find ways to persecute it. So I hope that helps. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great points. And just as a reminder, we will have show notes available so you can pick up some of these points later on. Um, I think one of the things that I've observed in reading about revival, if a person is insecure, in other words, insecure, broken, they've never dealt with certain issues, those issues can come back to bite them at the height of their calling. And so dealing with foundational issues early on is really important because as the wind of the spirit begins to blow, even on an impure or let's say not fully consecrated person, because that does happen. God uses people. They haven't matured yet. And so they start running into things and saying things. We've seen that in recent years, the last 30 years, a few times with people you know, in a revival and going off drinking at night and uh, marriage ends, all kinds of craziness. Same in every generation according to scripture. So it does not change people. Morality, yeah. the Christian standard remains the same. And that's another thing we're gonna to have to make sure we preach again, how to live as a Christian, how to live as a Christian leader, because today it's taken away from the standard so people's carnality can be honored as spirituality. And that's yeah. why we have CEOs in charge of ministries instead of five-fold anointed gifts. And so we have those kind of problems happening. And uh, so, but we'll, we'll make it, but we have to preach some of the things that they're going to call 
well, you're being too judgmental. No, you don't commit adultery. You don't fornicate. You don't steal. You don't lie. You tell the truth. You do what is, I mean, basic Christian morality yep. has to be repreached. Yeah, and, and preaching repentance is a foundation that we build on. It's not just a little issue I have. It's sin and it needs to be repented of. And there's not judgment in that. We need to judge ourselves, yes. But that is the foundation. I think the church has gone very soft in some parts. And so all of those uh, uh, different points, whether it's on finance or pride or um, the theology that people get fixated on one thing, all of those are very, very helpful. Uh, And the theological piece, keeping Jesus at the center, no matter what my pet thing might be that I'm really passionate about, being more passionate about Christ and his gospel and his mission. Um, so I, th- I think all of those will serve as well. And that may be my, kind of my thinking. Uh, I'll do a podcast on this later. Um, in an encounter that a friend of mine had, I was handed a bunch of keys by the Lord. I was on the floor looking for keys. And um, the, the question was asked, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for keys to revival. And I was scouring through history to do it. And the, the question was asked again, is he doing the right thing? And, I, and the Lord said, no, he's not. And then the Lord reached inside his cloak, pulled out a bunch of keys, and they were old but unused. They were new, but they looked old. And there was five keys on there, and the Lord handed them to me. And in the encounter, it wasn't mine. Somebody else had this encounter. It was clear it was about the fivefold ministry. So when you talk about God at work, the flesh at work, the devil at work, some of those revival settings haven't had good leadership exercised in them. You may have one powerful personality who doesn't see everything, know everything. And so releasing healthier, greater leaders in the next move of God to be able to help steward what God gives us. And obviously this is theory right now. We're not living in it. So, uh, But it's one of the thoughts I'm living with. Lord, how do you restore the fivefold? So they will care for your body and steward what you're about to do on the earth. Well, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think, too, we're going to have to understand our present culture and the present younger generations. The difference uh, between our generations and them is so big and so radically different that we almost need to take time to study what's going on and why is it like that. Uh, sometimes we're irrelevant because we don't understand the culture and how the enemy is working or how natural life is evolving without Christ out there. Uh, The woke culture, the council culture, the the political systems, especially here in America is the worst it's been in my lifetime. And the church is kind of quiet because they don't know what to say. We don't know what to say because of two things. We've not studied and we've not heard from God. So if we can study these things, I read non-Christian books about these things, but I still have my Christian mindset and my my gift to, to begin to process them. I think it's important that we do that. The weakness of the American and probably the European British pulpit is because we don't want to be accused of things. Now, we're going to have to get over being called names. I've been called a racist more in the last 12 months than I have in my entire life, all because I'm a conservative. I've done nothing but be a conservative, and then I get labeled stuff. Well, some of our pastors in America, because of these kind of labelings and stuff and, and, and people pulling away, they've lowered the biblical standard. They move back from the gospel message, and they don't believe that there's power in preaching the gospel and that Jesus 
is a powerful living person. It's more like it's a Christian club, not an encounter with God. So we're going to have to revive ourselves with a boldness with intelligence, not just a boldness without understanding so we know how to talk right, choose our words, and not react to things that are being said back at us and our people. I think that's a great challenge. Yeah, also, they, they are rewriting the Bible. Uh, we had a president named Thomas Jefferson. I don't know if the British would know of him. He's one of the top guys. And he cut the scriptures. That's happening in our culture today where people say, well, I don't like that part of the Bible. I take this. It is bolder than I've ever seen that kind of mindset with the younger generation and many of the young pastors. We have to preach the full counsel, not just the dessert meal. Uh, we have to preach the, the green beans, the steak, the broccoli, and all that stuff. If we don't, we're going to have uh, something called the church. It's not really the church. Yeah. And so that is going to have to come in, and we're going to have to model it. And we're going to be, we're never going to be fully accepted in mainline culture. Yeah. So accept it, that we're always going to be viewed as the odd people, the the weird people. It's been through historical, it's revival culture too. So we we can't be something that we're not called to be to fit in. You have to yeah. come out from among. There are still yeah. those scriptures, be ye separate. When you become born again, you become a Christian minister. You have a different code by which we live by, by which we strive for. We, we have a different way of being, and we have to be happy in that. At 45, I'm 15 years ago, I went through, uh, I'd done everything I wanted to do for my whole life by the time I was 45. I'd bought the planes, I'd been in the White House, I'd done everything. And I thought, what do I do now? And I had to sit down with myself and make a decision uh, what I want to do. I don't want to just be a, a memory of the past. I want to be a living voice in today. I want to run with Steve Upple. I want to run with his kids. I want to run with the next generation. I want to be the old guy in the middle of all the young people. That's how I want to live my life, even though I'm not that old yet, but I'm still that age. And um, I had to make a decision. I am willing to suffer the persecution of being among the spirit-filled people. And I count that as an honor, not as something I'm embarrassed by. We're going to have to be able to count what we are and what we go through for it as an honor. And mm -hmm. William Booth, uh, is, I love this. I mean, William Booth is one of my favorite guys. I mean, it's, I hope he lives on my street in heaven so we can have a good time. And so uh, one day he was preaching there in Great Britain and some of his soldiers came in late and they'd been beat up by the skeleton army on the streets. So they were bloody, the hats and clothes were torn, young, old, women, children. And um, he brought them up on stage and said, let's look at their medals today. He has a bloody nose. Her hat and dress are ripped. This little kid has been thrown in the dirt. And the crowd cheered them and the people on the stage took pride that they stood for something and it cost them something, but they valued that and the cost did not make them bow or boo back. We're going to have to rediscover that in this next move of God. God. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a question in a moment. I'll make a comment on it. I've been reading through the book of Acts, rapid reading through, and in my journal, I keep writing clash of kingdoms, clash of kingdoms, clash. Of... So everywhere these guys show up, there's those that turn to faith in Christ, there's tremendous miracles, signs and wonders, and then there's a clash with the powers of darkness and the establishment of the day. 
and uh, they, they cause chaos everywhere they go. And I know Wesley used to say that if people weren't throwing rotten food at him, if he hadn't been heckled off the pulpit, he would be thinking, I'm doing something wrong or I'm growing soft. And yet in today's culture, we've done the opposite. We want to be liked. We want to be acceptable. We'll tone down the gospel and we don't want to be offensive. I'm not talking about being offensive from personal preference, but for the gospel's sake. So, so I, I say that to agree with you, but let me ask you a question. I know this has been a big part of, uh, at least in the past, what you were doing, less aware of what you're doing now, but um, I'm, talk- I'm thinking about revival and mission or revival and advance. I know when I was younger, I was part of supporting something you were doing, which is called Operation 500, sending 500 people onto the mission field after training them. Uh, we too are now sensing a great call uh, that there's going to be another major missionary movement from these islands uh, into the spaces in the world where the light, and some of them might be cities in Europe, some of them might be into Asia. We just sense the Lord's going to have wave after wave of missionary. So how do you see the connection between revival and the advance of the kingdom or the mission sending aspect of it? Well, re- re- if you don't sin, you're not in revival. So revival creates the local energy to do the work of the gospel, then there, there comes that go somewhere. Because two-thirds of God's name is go. As simple as that statement is, it's a powerful statement. Go, G-O, and then G-O-D, it goes together. So everybody has a go. You go across the street, you go across the city, you go across the nation, you go across the world. Some people, I think every Christian should go somewhere. So I, in my church in California, uh, you had to have a passport to be a member. Uh, because you're, you're you're actually going somewhere, and you're actually maneuvering. And then uh, in the Bible school, uh, the hardest thing about a Bible school graduate is the day they graduate. What do they do? And most of them go back to what they knew in the natural because they didn't have no place to go. So God gave me a, a vision to send out 500 of my graduates and to pay for it. And to take them on their first year or second year and send them to where the gospel was little or needed a push. Everybody can go where there's something happening. I trained my folks to go where there was not much and help create, to give them that kind of strength. That's a part of the missionary movement of this revival. I think if you don't have that going, then there's something wrong in in the food or in the makeup of it. And uh, the gospel told every office to go and win souls, fill them with the Holy Spirit. So it must be like that. The old missionaries sent their best. Today, we send the leftovers, the people that aren't quite baked all the way yet, people that are have issues, they don't need to be on the field, and we don't know how to help them, so we ship them overseas. They all need to come home and get fixed, and we need to send our best to the fields of harvest where God has given us our assignment and put money in it, put the best brains. I mean, the early missionaries went to school, went to college to learn a skill to take with them and the gospel to the nations. And, and they sent their best. We have to get back to that. If you send your best, God will grow you a healthy, excellent ministry. ministry. Amen. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you in a moment, my final question, which is really what, what is God saying to you in this current season? Anything as a thought you want to leave the listeners with? But just before I ask that question, if people wanted to connect with you, how best can they do that? A website or Instagram, how would you encourage them to do that? You can go to my website, robertsurden.org, or my Facebook page. And 
There's fake ones out there. So it's Robert's Laird official is my, my real page. And I actually manage it myself. I answer all the questions on there. So when you send me a message there, it may take me time to get to you, but I'm the guy reading it and answering that. So I keep that contact that way. Then I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. So it's just my name, Robert's Laird. And, and you can connect with me that way. And when you're out in Florida, when the British can fly again and the Americans can fly, come and see us in Florida. Everybody wants to see Mickey Mouse and then come and see me. How's that? So, Thank you so much. So uh, do you want to leave us with one final thought just to encourage people of what God may be saying to you in the current season? Well, I, I, I feel in America right now, I know we're in a, in a British platform. America is the greatest hour of need. And uh, one thing I would say is God's going to send missionaries to my country. And I pray that some of the people that you'll raise up will come to help us in America. America has sown billions of dollars, thousands of people, and we need help now. And I think there is going to be a missionary movement to the First Nations of Europe, England, and America, and Canada. These First Nations need help from Asia, Africa, South America, and a part of this revival, I think, is seeing that happen. I know in, in, in Great Britain, when I lived there, the Africans were coming and they were the guys on the street corners preaching. I'm thinking, well, the British won't do it and the Americans won't do it, but the Africans will do it. And God sent them and they're there preaching in front of the tube station. And I would stop and give them money. They praise God that they're here. We need that in our country. When you come to the Western nations, uh, don't lose what makes you great in your country and take on our weak culture to fit in. Africans, pray on fire and preach on fire. Uh, Koreans, pray like you do at home and do it over here and do not change. So that would be something I think is coming. I think young people need to befriend old people. Uh, another piece of advice, old people have already done their life. They want to give what they know. There's no competition in their soul they're honest, they're there, they still have life they want to give. So make a place in your private life for the older generation of Christians and ministers. Yeah. They will be your friend. They will give you honest counsel and they will stand with you when mud is being thrown and won't run away. So those are things I would say in that no matter how dark it is, there's a great light going to dawn for all of us and let's all be a part of the revival. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Robert. I want to comment on both those things because I feel them deeply with a passion. I'm trying to hold myself back, but I, I do feel a call to the States. I remember in 2006, somebody said to me, come over here for four or five weeks at a time. And I turned it down and I heard the Lord saying to me, there will come a day you will come. And I know I've been visiting uh, every year for a number of years, but I, I know there's a day coming of a church planting movement uh, looking very different uh, to some of what's in America. I know there's a grassroots things already beginning in the States themselves as well. I feel the same for the UK and into Europe. And so it is a it is a brand new era that we're in. God doing some phenomenal things. And yes, those who are older, their day isn't over. The life experience they have, the wisdom they have, they will be pillars and support to those who reach out. I think it was your friend Lester Sumrall that said this, about Wigglesworth, that when he knocked on Wigglesworth's door in the late 30s, early 40s, there was no queue. Nobody else was waiting to go inside. There was this uh, kind of general of the faith that had traveled the world, knew how to operate in the supernatural, and nobody was wanting to learn from him. 
And I, I think that's sad when there is so much gold available in the lives of those who've lived who are older than ourselves. So thank you for that wisdom. I've loved having you on the show today. I would recommend everybody get a hold of the God's Generals, the Reformers and Revivalist books and read those. Uh, you'll be able to learn more about those on the Roberts Leiden website. Thank you, Pastor Roberts, once again. We love you guys and God bless Great Britain. Right now, I have a special deal on my four books. Rouse the Warriors, which is all about raising an end-time army. Burning Ones, which is about igniting a fuel and a passion for Jesus. One Life, all about discovering your purpose and what God has called you to do. And then the devotional, highly flammable, 40 days of devotions to set your heart on fire. There's a deal right now on all four books, and you can find out more at steveuppel.com.